Now, our Bible reading this morning is continuing our series in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 18 and verses 21 to 35, and the parable of the unmerciful servant. So let's read uh, God's Word together. Matthew 18, 21 through to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Amen. God will bless his reading from his holy word. Now, if you do have your Bible there, please do turn back to Matthew chapter 18. As we think about this passage this morning and we continue our series in Matthew's Gospel. Now, last week, if you were here uh, at worship, we looked at the rather difficult topic uh, of church discipline. And we move on today to think about forgiveness and the parable of the unmerciful servant. Now, We might be taking a sigh of relief this morning and thinking, phew, after all that about church discipline last week, which was rather heavy, at least we can get on to to something a little easier this morning. Well, that's partly true, but whilst this morning's passage is probably easier for us to understand, there's no doubt that it's challenging to put into practice. This is a difficult passage for us to put into practice. 
Now, the first thing I want to think about this morning is, well, we obviously had church discipline uh, last week, uh, and sometimes when we're, we're reading the Bible, uh, sometimes we can be guilty of reading passages in our Bible in isolation without reading them in context. And sometimes, uh, Sunday by Sunday, if you're not here, if you, you missed last week and you, you're going to miss next week, sometimes you come to one in the middle, you're like, well, how did that relate to what happened before, and how does that relate to what happens after? The first question this morning that is worth asking is, why is Peter asking his question about forgiveness now? Because that was the first verse of our reading, wasn't it? What does Peter say? Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Why does Peter ask this question now? Well, remember that since verse 3 of chapter 18, we have had Jesus speaking without interruption. Some of you here today will have one of those Bibles that has the words of Jesus in red in the New Testament. Sometimes you get those kind of Bibles. Well, if you've got one of those Bibles, you will see that it's read all the way from verse 3 onwards. Why is that? Because that's Jesus speaking directly. It's Jesus' direct teaching. He's speaking without interruption. Now, he's spoken about, the king, about entering the kingdom like little children. He has spoken about not causing believers to stumble and the consequences if people do. He has spoken about God's desire that, that none of the believers should perish, as we saw in the parable of the wandering sheep. And we then, last week, saw the church's role and trying to make sure that as believers, we continue to follow God faithfully, and how the church has a part to play in ensuring that this happens, and what the process is if, if believers begin to stray and fall into sin, that we are to approach them individually, then with one or two others, and then as the church. And then remember, if they, that person still doesn't listen, what are we to do? Treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that was a common phrase. Basically, treat them as an unbeliever. That doesn't mean we're stopped with them forever. We're basically saying you're right back at the beginning. Remember who wrote this gospel? Matthew. Who was Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. What happened in Matthew with Matthew? Well, Jesus came and said, come, follow me. And that's what we're to do. If someone goes right back to the beginning... We present them afresh and anew with the good news of the gospel. So we've had all this teaching from, from Jesus, and the disciples are listening to all of this. And Peter, so often the spokesman, asks the question that logically seems to follow. Because it's a personal question that would also have implications in terms of church discipline. How many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? How many times should I do that? Now, in forming his question, Peter comes up with some kind of answer. Up to seven times? Now, incidentally here, it's quite likely that Peter is being very generous. He's clearly understood something of what Jesus had been saying about how much God loves and cares for believers, how much He longs for them to be restored when they stray. 
And so seven times, well, that seems quite reasonable, doesn't it? Seven times I'll forgive them. What does Jesus say? He says, not seven times, but 77 times. Or possibly, if you see your footnotes, 70 times seven times, which 490 times. That's a lot of times, isn't it? Now, even if it's 77 times, that's a lot of forgiveness, isn't it? Really? And 490 times, well, that's absolutely huge, isn't it? To forgive someone. You see, the fact is, you could probably count how many times you'd forgiven someone if it was up to seven times. You could probably do that. You know, I've forgiven them six times now, seven times, and they're out. But if it were 77 times or 490 times, we'd probably lose track, wouldn't we? Because we're scratching our, is that the 54th or the 55th time I've forgiven that person, that one thing? Is it the 414th time or 416th time I've forgiven that person? We'd lose count, wouldn't we? And that's exactly Jesus' point. That we should forgive without count. That we should always forgive. Now, when we think about through our lives and some of the things that can happen between even believers in the church, we might think to ourselves, well, well, why should I? Why should I forgive? Why should I forgive 77 times or 70 times seven times? Why should I do that? When you've been sinned against and and hurt badly, why should I forgive? Indeed, there are many people today who maybe aren't part of a church, and I'm not just speaking about the church here in West Kilbride, but they're not part of a church because something that's happened in the past with someone in the church that they've disagreed with, and they just can't forgive it. They just can't let it go. And so they drift from the fellowship. I know of churches where people have fallen out over the type of vase that the flowers are placed in. Or over what kind of thing is placed in the communion table. And people drift and they can't forgive it and they hold on to this grudge and then they've really forgotten why they had the grudge in the first place, but they're going to hold it anyway. Why should we forgive? Now, to make this point that we should forgive, Jesus then tells this parable the parable of the unmerciful servant to show what the kingdom of heaven is like and what kingdom values are. Now, I'm sure that we understand the parable and the point that it's trying to make. The servant, the first servant, owes the king an extortionate amount of money. 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents as it would have been then. It's 20 years of a laborer's wage. That's a huge amount of money. Now, we, we have no idea here How has this servant managed to run up this kind of debt? No idea. But clearly, he is unable to pay. There's no way that he can pay. And so the king, when he's trying to reclaim this debt, he orders that this servant and his wife and children, all he has are sold to pay the debt because the debt has to be paid. 
But what does the servant do? Well, the servant falls on his knees before the king and, and begs him. Now, what he begs him is, is pretty unrealistic. Did you notice that? Be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. He owes him 20 years worth of wages. Pretty important. How is he going to live in the meantime? There's no way he can pay this debt back. Be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. It isn't going to happen. But the servant, he's asking for time. He's asking for patience. He's asking for mercy. And let's not overlook verse 27. Because what happens in verse 27? But it says, The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine the relief of that man? This debt hanging over him, going in to see the king, thinking, I've got this huge debt to pay. I simply cannot pay it. What's going to happen to me? Imagine the relief. I mean, it would be basically like us having a, a large mortgage on a house, being unable to pay the bank, and the bank saying, don't worry, we'll just cancel the debt and give you the house. Now, how unlikely is that? But what's being pointed out here is the master is merciful. The master's merciful. Now, incidentally here, we don't even know if the servant said thank you. Did you notice that? There was no sense of the the servant saying, oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you so, so much. But we do see another reaction from that servant because what happens? Well, the servant, when he goes out, he finds one of his fellow servants. Now, incidentally here, it doesn't look as though he simply stumbled across that other servant. It's not as if he's coming out from the king and there's that person that owes him something. It seems to me he comes out from the king and he goes and finds this other servant. That's ridiculous, isn't it? It seems to me that he actively went after him. And he went after this other servant because he owed him a hundred silver coins, a hundred denarii. Now, one denarius was the usual wage, daily wage of a laborer. And so, a hundred denarii was not an insignificant amount, about probably four, four months' wages or thereabouts. But obviously, in comparison to 100 bags of gold, uh, uh, sorry, 10,000 bags of gold, it's a drop in the ocean, isn't it? It's not much at all. 100 silver coins, 10,000 bags of gold. Now, the other servant also begs for mercy, doesn't he? But the first servant refuses to let the debt go as the man thrown into prison until he can pay the debt. Now, we get the point of the story, don't we? The point of the story is obviously to show the gross hypocrisy of the first servant, a servant who had an enormous debt cancelled and yet who holds a, a fellow servant to account over a small, tiny amount. And the reaction of the other servants to all of this is the reaction that we should have when we hear this story. Because the other servants are outraged. How could this be that this servant, forgiven so much 
and shown so much mercy had refused to be merciful. They're outraged. So what do they do? Well, they go and tell the master. Now, the master's already shown himself to be merciful. But at the end here, what do we also see? We see that the master also shows himself to be just. Because he doesn't just let things slide, but he deals with them. And he makes the original servant pay. Now, what's the point of this parable? What's it trying to say to us this morning? Well, remember the context here. Peter has asked how many times he should forgive his brother or sister. And Jesus has said 77 times, i.e., without measure. And the reason for this is contained in the parable, isn't it? You see, it doesn't take too much of a leap to see that the king, the master, is our heavenly father. And the fact is that we owe him a huge debt. It's a debt that we simply cannot repay. It's impossible for us to repay. Now, sometimes the mistake that we can make in the Christian life is not realizing how grave our sin is and how much we owe God. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm an okay person. You know, I'm a good person generally. You know, I, you know yes, I don't, I'm not perfect, but you know, I'm a you know, I'm not too, I'm not a major, major, huge sinner. But if we think we're only little sinners, then we don't realize the gravity of our disobedience and our rebellion and our sin against God. You see, the fact is that all of us have this huge, unpayable debt. It's impossible for us to pay. That's why when we're not a Christian and before we're a Christian, sometimes we feel that guilt within. And we cannot get rid of it. We can't get rid of it by just doing more good stuff or good work. It just doesn't go away. We've got this huge unpayable debt that we feel guilty about. What can we do about it? Well, the only thing that we can do is get on our knees before our God and ask for His mercy. That's all we can do. And the wonderful thing is, as we see in this parable, is that God is a merciful God. If you get nothing out of this today, I want you to understand that God is a merciful God. No matter what you've done in your life, He's a merciful God. He's a God who delights to be merciful. He's the one who cancels your debt of sin. And of course, we know that the whole point of Jesus coming into the world was as the Savior of the world to pay the price for sin that we could not pay and to give His life as a a ransom for many. So we need to realize this morning quite how much we have been forgiven. Because if we believe we've only been forgiven a little, then we'll only forgive a little. Now, of course, the outrage in the parable is that the original servant has been forgiven so much, debt completely canceled, 
And yet he goes to find someone who has a debt against him and demands that he pay. He's unlike the master. He shows no mercy. And that's a picture for us. That's what Jesus is trying to say. You see, how ridiculous it is if God has forgiven us so much, and yet we don't forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. God has forgiven us all our sin, past, present, and future in Jesus. And yet, we will hold a grudge against our brother and sister in Christ. It just makes no sense to do that, does it? Now, as I said at the beginning, hopefully this passage is easy enough for us to understand. But it isn't easy to put into practice, is it? You see, when someone sins against us, that's not a pleasant thing, is it? There can be deep hurt. There can be deep pain. And a passage like this today is is not underplaying all of this. It's not underplaying how that hurt can be really real. And there can be real pain when someone really, you know, does something against us. We might look at this passage today and think of a situation in our life about a brother or sister who's hurt us. And we might think we can never forgive them because we feel so bruised and so hurt. Or we might be tempted to say, you know, we've forgiven our brother or sister, but we really haven't. And we're still bitter because we haven't forgiven them, as our passage says, from the heart. Yes, we said it with our lips, but not with our heart. Well, what are we to do in those circumstances where someone has really, really hurt us? Well, the first thing is to focus on how much God has forgiven us. It's 10,000 bags of gold. And no matter how deeply we've been hurt, it's only like a hundred silver coins. Not insignificant, but nothing compared to what God has forgiven us. And if God has forgiven us in such an extravagant way, is it too much to ask for us to forgive? Indeed, as the parable shows, there will be consequences if we don't forgive our brother and sister. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that we do it. So if we're really struggling this morning, focus on how much God has forgiven you. Ask God to reveal to you how much He has forgiven you, how much He loves you, how much mercy He's shown to you in Jesus. Ask God to take you back to the cross to see what Jesus has done for you there. Once you understand it, and you know it in your heart, Go and forgive your brother and sister. You see, if God is a God who forgives, let us be a people who forgive. Now, there are lots more that we could focus on today in terms of forgiveness. And as we finish today, you might be thinking to yourself, but you don't know how badly I've been hurt. You don't know what I've been through. Things have been really difficult for me. I want to finish this morning by showing you a video. We showed this at an evening service a few years ago. It's a video about radical forgiveness. 
if this lady can forgive, maybe we can forgive too. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This. Close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. We end tonight. Lord God, we thank you that you're a God of radical forgiveness. That though we owe you so much because of our disobedience and our sin and our shame, 
And yet, Lord God, as we get on our knees before you and ask for your mercy, you have given us your mercy. You have shown us patience. You have shown us your great love. And you have shown us these things through Jesus' death on the cross at Calvary. Lord God, we pray that you would enlarge our vision, that we would see how great you are and how great your forgiveness is. And that as we are moved by your forgiveness, that we might be a people who forgive. Lord God, we recognize that even within the church, that we can have disagreements, that there can be bitterness towards our brothers and sisters. But Lord God, we pray that we would be radical enough to forgive, and not just forgive in word, but we would forgive radically from the heart, and that we would be known as a place of forgiveness. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Perhaps also we can think of a situation in our own lives where there has been unforgiveness, perhaps among our family or among our friends. Perhaps there has been bitterness, someone that we've not spoken to for many years. And Lord God, sometimes we recognize that unforgiveness just brings us bitterness in sight. It's forgiveness that sets us free. Father, we pray that you would give us the courage, the strength to reach out in grace and mercy to those who have hurt us and those whom we have hurt. That there might be forgiveness and reconciliation and peace and joy. So, Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this day, we pray. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. 